You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, hello. Welcome back to Attaboy Clarence, for goodness sake. Remaining, I am pleased to say, a politics-free zone. Come on in. Hello to you, and hello to you, and hello to you, Suki. Hello. Did you have a nice Christmas? What's your Christmas? It's a day. It was the day that we gave you that box of dog biscuits with a ribbon around it, remember? Oh, yes, I remember. Yeah, there you go. That was the day that you ate that huge piece of roasted meat that smelled like heaven. It was all covered in gravy and butter and things. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was it. I had my biscuits, though. Yeah. My biscuits with the ribbon around them. Mm-hmm. While you ate that meat in front of me. Right. Yes. Did you, uh... Did you enjoy the biscuits? I don't know yet. I still haven't untied the ribbon. Right. I haven't got any thumbs, you see. I'm sure they'll be delicious, though. Good. Delicious. And very dry. Well, Merry Biscuits... Uh, Merry Christmas to you, anyway. Yes. Well, you must excuse me. I have to go back to trying to bite through this box. Anyway, I hope you're all well. Good grief, it seems like an age since the last show. So much to tell you about. How about a quick bulletin? This podcast is three years old. My goodness, yes. Three years ago I began this crazy endeavour and it is still chugging along. So happy birthday to you, Attaboy Clarence. And by turns, the secret history of Hollywood, which sprang from your bosom. Talking of the secret history of Hollywood, Bullets and Blood 3, the latest episode is out now. Bringing to a conclusion the story of the Warner Brothers and James Cagney, it is nine hours long, so clear some room. And I am incredibly proud to have finished it and delivered it to the world. The response so far has been off the scale. I cannot believe how many times this thing has been downloaded. Within six days, it had been downloaded over 60,000 times, and it is showing no signs of slowing yet. It is already the second most downloaded episode ever, and if things continue, it won't be long before it tips the final adventures of Alfred Hitchcock off its pedestal. So thank you for downloading it. Thank you for telling others to download it, and thank you, thank you, for your incredible response to it so far. I love you all. Okay, on a more embarrassing note, I actually appeared in a BBC documentary at the tail end of last year entitled Hollywood Icons, presented by the very talented duo Pixie Woo, who if you're familiar with YouTube, you will more than likely be aware of. I pop up every few minutes to drop in a fact or two about someone from the golden age, and while the documentary itself is very good indeed, I will tell you now that TV is definitely not my thing. 
I'm very honoured to have been asked to participate, though. And Mike and Michelle, who filmed me, were wonderful people. I do shudder when I see it, though. However, it would be remiss of me not to give it a plug, seeing as how it was a definite labour of love for the people who made it. If you are interested in the glamour side of Golden Age Hollywood, then do search it out. Just ignore my bits, though. Smokey from A History of Misunderstanding and Ben from Closer to Midnight have begun a new podcast. It's called Rated H, and it is a very erudite and charming look at horror movies. So I thoroughly recommend you all fly out to download it now. It's still on its first episode, but I am assured that more are coming. And those two are top fellas, so keep your eye on that one. I'm sure it'll be huge. Speaking of podcasts, I must just throw out a plug for Stars on Suspense, which has quickly become my favourite old-time radio podcast. I eagerly await each episode. Weird, because I have actually heard every episode of Suspense at least three times, but Jack's little intros are excellent, and he always picks the best episodes, so keep it up, sir. On the downside, just lately I've been getting a little bit bored with breakfast. If only I could think of some way of livening it up. Say, here's how to make breakfast as exciting as a circus that a three-day rodeo rolled into one. Ooh, I'm not sure I want it to be that exciting. Shred it, Ralston, for your breakfast. Start the day all shining bright. Gives you lots of cowboy energy with a flavor that's just right. It's delicious and nutritious, bite-sized and ready to eat. Take a bit from home, go and grab your mouth. Shred it, Ralston, paint me, me. I do like a nice song from a cowboy on a pipe organ. For better breakfast, it's Ralston. One, two, three. On, I'm writing this down. Shredded Ralston, the ready-to-eat bite-sized cereal. Regular Ralston and instant Ralston. I, I swear those are the names of Bob Geldof's children. The delicious hot cereal. Look for these whole grain cereals in the red and white checkerboard packages. For better breakfast, it's Ralston. One, two... Three. Three. There you go. My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. My sister thanks you. And I assure you, I thank you. Well, of course, having been off for a month or two, I have a whole ton of thank yous to throw out there. Firstly, and most importantly, thank you for all the emails and the messages and everything else you sent over the Christmas period. You guys are the absolute best people on the internet. I really mean it. You are stupendous people. I love you all and a huge huge Canterbury to you all. Canterbury. A whopping great Canterbury must also go to the New Statesman magazine, who chose The Secret History of Hollywood as one of their 10 best podcasts of 2016 at the end of the year. Thank you so much, and stick this in your top 10 list. Canterbury. Also to Glamour magazine, who likewise chose The Secret History of Hollywood as one of their favourite podcasts in December. Have a very glamorous Canterbury. Or Glamterbury, if you will. Canterbury. Also also to the Evening Standard newspaper, who also wrote about the secret history of Hollywood. Thank you very much. Have a Canterbury. Canterbury. And to Wired magazine, who also chose the secret history of Hollywood as one of their favorite podcasts. Thank you, Wired. Have a very technological Canterbury. Canterbury. Another thank you to Shelley Brisbane, who sang the praises of secret history and Attaboy Clarence on her excellent show, The Parallel Podcast. Thank you, Shelley, and Open Wide. Canterbury. And lastly, to Gareth Stack, 
who appeared on the Dave Fanning show on RTE in Ireland and said this. You know, the executive like, producer of the movie. How finite would it be something like, for instance, well, language and science and history, there's one, the secret history of Hollywood. Now, mm. I haven't heard that. So what, what is the secret history of Hollywood and how many episodes are there or is it added to all the time? Is it salacious from the 40s stuff? It, it exactly is that. It, is it, it? It's all stuff from the 30s, 40s and 50s, salacious storytelling uh, and it's absolutely wonderful. And the weird thing about that show is each episode is literally between four and five. I think even has one nine hour episode. Like one episode. And what, what, like what's an episode? Is it, does it take a certain amount of years or a certain subject? So what he does is he'll take a subject. So he took uh, Alfred Hitchcock and he did four episodes, I think, that covered his entire life. It starts off the day he was born and it finishes right. the day he died. And it is so evocative. I literally, that's no, no exaggeration, Dave. I cried twice listening to that, really. Because he talks, You by the, he's so good at carrying you into the moment of it and playing evocative music from the time and playing clips of the films and telling you all about his relationship with his wife and the, the birds and his obsession with the Hitchcock blonde and all that kind of stuff. That by the end of it, you are you feel as though you know Hitchcock and this guy the guy narrating it has mm. this beautiful radio voice that is dulcet and takes you in and on a journey and it's, 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 it's great stuff it's, it's, I highly recommend that one nice impression gets my seal of approval by the way the voice is easy to impersonate you simply spend six or seven hours screaming at people in a commercial kitchen and then argue with your children for an hour and then record a podcast little tip there have an Irish Canterbury Baby, I don't know about you, but I totally save top value stamps so that I can get gifts for my living room. I wonder what they have on offer. Three for top value stamps. An elegant, polished brass chafing dish. Chafing dish, eh? What else you got? Or, if something spills, a vessel carpet sweeper. Perfect for touch-up. Carpet sweeper, eh? Mm, no. Anything else? Hello? So, so a chafing dish or a carpet sweeper then. Well, that's my dad's Christmas present sorted. Hey, you know what's coming now, don't you? Maybe you have a question. That's right. Throw it into the question pot. Here it goes. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. First question this time comes from Tierney Haynes who writes, Dear Adam, I just finished watching Sentimental Journey and was blown away by the performance of the little girl, Hitty, Connie Marshall. It got me thinking about how few child actors of the 30s and 40s are actually remembered today. Who do you think are the most underappreciated child actors of the Golden Age? Were any of them able to transition to grown-up roles? P.S. Yes, I was named after Jean Tierney, and my sister's name is Greer. Tierney, you have awesome parents. Tierney Haynes is a ridiculously cool name. Greer Haynes is right up there too. My wife and I both decided on Maxim for our son, named after Laurence Olivier's character in Rebecca. We were watching it like twice a week that year. I love the fact that he never shortens it either. He introduces himself as Maxim to everyone, so I get a little shot of Hitchcock every day. There needs to be more Golden Age of Hollywood-inspired children naming, I think. Anyway, Tierney, talking of underappreciated child actors, one that I am always happy to see pop up in a film is Bobby Anderson 
who's most famous for playing the young George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. He has this really classic American boy-next-door sort of face. Real star quality and a great performer. Another one was William Tracy, who starred as Peppy in the shop around the corner and as the young Jerry in Angels with Dirty Faces. Margaret O'Brien, who starred in lots of films during the Golden Age, wasn't underappreciated, but she's not as well known today as Shirley Temple or Mickey Rooney or Judy Garland. She certainly had a huge box office appeal, though, back in the day. Thankfully, she's still with us, too, God bless her. I watched her in Our Vines Have Tender Grapes a few months ago, and she is absolutely stone-cold brilliant in that film. Check her out if you're not familiar with her. I really like Virginia Widler, too, who starred as Dinah Lord in The Philadelphia Story and who retired at the age of 16, having completed more than 40 films. Next question plucked from the pot is from Dorinda, who asks, Hi, Adam. I only recently started listening to your show and I love it. Quick question. I missed the episode where Suki was introduced. Does he have an origin story? I love this email. Uh... She doesn't have an origin story, no. She cropped up first on episode 43, though. She's actually my real dog. I am looking at her now. Why are you looking at me? I, I haven't made her up or anything. Are you looking at me because you've decided to let me sleep in your marital bed? I mean, I, I have kind of made her up, obviously. But... Now that we have made eye contact, I will assume that I'm allowed to chew on the doorframe and poo all over the garden and attempt to climb clumsily up the bodies of everyone who visits the house. Some of it I haven't made up. Last question this time is from a lady named Dorothy Parker. Now, I love this email to pieces. Listen to this. Hello, Adam. I am probably your oldest fan, as I am 90 years old as of last Tuesday. One of the only wonderful things about being my age is that I can watch movies again as if it was the first time. Even movies I've seen many, many times. I watched Bringing Up Baby after I listened to your last podcast, and it was even funnier than I remembered. I have ordered Our Vines Have Tender Grapes from my local library, but I was unable to locate Over the Garden Wall. Can you recommend some other films for me to watch again? Thank you, Dorothy Parker. First off, happy birthday, Dorothy. Your message arrived in November, so this is very late. But on behalf of everyone, listeners included, I hope you had a superb party. As for film recommendations, if you go to my website, www.attaboyclarence.com, and then scroll down the left-hand side, you will see a section called Reviews, which lists every single film I've ever mentioned, loads of the things, so you can use that as my list. Also, Dorothy, you will see a section called Film Club. Click on that and you will be presented with a new film to watch every fortnight for free. Just load her up and let her rip. Lovely to hear from you, Dorothy, and best of luck with Our Vines Have Tender Grapes. I loved that movie so much. If you would like to throw a question into the question pot, then go to attaboyclarence.com, scroll down the homepage, and you will find the question pot form at the bottom. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinking cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. So in the last episode, we played Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend? And the answer was, of course, Alfred Hitchcock, which led to numerous messages from you guys to say that I had made the quiz too easy and that you all guessed it straight away. I am sorry, my advice to Mr. Hitchcock on how to disguise his voice was obviously not effective enough. I will try to do better in future. <laughs> 
Anyway, see if this one foxes you or not, as another Golden Age superstar steps up to the mark. This episode of What's My Line aired on November 8th, 1953. So sharpen those senses, prick up those ears, and see if you can decide who the hell is that Hollywood legend. Now we come to the special feature of our program, the appearance of our mystery celebrity whom our friends from the panel would recognize immediately, so we've had to put some blindfolds on them. Are those blindfolds all in place, panel? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Good. Will you come in, mystery challenger, and sign in, please? All right. (laughs) Panel, (coughs) as you know, in the case of our mystery celebrity, we get right down to the general questioning, which we will begin with um, Miss Dorothy Kilgallen. Are you in some form of the entertainment world? We? Uh, are you uh, judging from the applause what might be called a glamour girl? Yeah. Uh, are you, or have you ever been in motion pictures? Oh, we. Uh, is, that, is that your current form of employment? We. Are you more famous from, for your work in movies than on stage? Hmm? Mm-hmm. What's that? That's... <laughs> That's her. You never took Greek? That's yes. Oh, excuse me. Uh, have you uh, ever done anything besides movie work? Oh, we. Have you ever appeared in television? Small conference, awfully sorry. <laughs> she wants to know if this counts. We. <laughs> uh, oui. uh, have you ever appeared on a regular program of your own on television? Did you ask the question, did our guest ever appear in a regular television well, program of her own? Well, let's say a regular television program. I don't know. I know how shady you are with definitions. A regular weekly television program. A regular week. Oh, you, you mean a regular weekly television program. Yes. That's one down and nine <laughs> to go. <laughs> Mr. Allen, was the program on which you appeared then someone else's show rather than your own? Mm, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> Have you made a picture in the last year? Oui. Uh, are you married? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you over 21? Oui, monsieur. You'll do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, have you ever made a Technicolor motion picture? Oui. Was it a musical? No. Two down and eight to go, Miss Francis. Is this husband that you have admitted to also in pictures? Oui, madame. <laughs> He's very well known in pictures? Ah, oh, oui. And he very often has a mean right in pictures? He's a strong man? <laughs> I guess that means yes. <laughs> got weak just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have some uh, boxer dogs? Okay, we'll stop it there. You have until the music runs out to make up your minds. Go. Go. 
got an answer. Okay, then. Here we go. Do you have some uh, boxer dogs? Are we you here in New York because you have recently finished a picture that is going to tell all the women of the world how to marry a millionaire? <laughs> Are you one of the most <laughs> devastating young women in pictures, Lauren Bacall? That's right. <laughs> Yes, it was Lauren Bacall. Did you get it right? Of course you probably did. Another chance to guess the famous star's identity next time on Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend? But firstly, let me tell you about some of the movies that I've been watching recently. The first one came courtesy of a nod on Twitter from Dan Gale, who pointed me towards an absolute masterpiece that I'd never heard of, despite it carrying one of the greatest movie titles of all time. This, my friends, is a film from 1937 called Shh, the Octopus. No, seriously, that is the title. Calling all cars. Attention all police boats. Attention all harbor patrols. Attention United States revenue cutters. General alarm. Schooner Tessie has just been picked up adrift off Sailor's Light. Shortly before the Tessie was picked up, a mysterious submarine was seen in the vicinity. Captain and crew of the Tessie are believed to have been the victims of the octopus. Proceed with caution. That is all. Oh, boy. The octopus. If we could only catch him. Just think of it. 50,000 bucks reward for the capture of the octopus alive. <coughs> what was that? Sound like a wild animal, eh? Sound more like a woman. Hmm? Wild woman, eh? <laughs> so, shh, the octopus <laughs> is the story of two bumbling detectives, Kelly and Dempsey played by Hugh Herbert and Alan Jenkins, who are hot on the trail of a notorious criminal known as the Octopus, who seems to be hidden somewhere around a haunted lighthouse. The problem is that there is also a real giant octopus terrorizing the lighthouse at the same time. There are also suspicious sailors, a scientist with a secret formula, and a beautiful heiress who screams a lot. Now, you can't really ask for much more from a film than that, can you? <laughs> There, I saw it. So what? Long arms like tentacles. There, behind the curtain, it moves. She's right. Take a look, Kelly, and I'll cover you. Cover me, but don't shoot. So if you've ever seen The Gorilla, and God help you if you have, then this is basically a rehash of that story, given a bit of flair by Warner Brothers, who obviously threw a bit of money at this thing, but who failed, unfortunately, to improve on the very creaky old story. I love Alan Jenkins. He is one of my all-time heroes, and I was determined to like this because he was in it. But unfortunately, even he cannot save this junkyard of a film. It's one of those films that consists entirely of a group of people stood in a huddle in a room snapping at each other, when suddenly the lightning crashes, and from behind a curtain, a plastic octopus tentacle emerges and wobbles its way around the room until someone notices it and screams. <laughs> While that person is trying to explain that a plastic octopus tentacle is wobbling around, it disappears back behind the curtain just before everyone looks that way. Then they all assemble in a different room and the whole process repeats itself. This goes on for a solid hour until the villain is revealed. In the case of Shh, the octopus, though, 
The ending is first lifted considerably by a quite unexpectedly incredible special effect that will literally take your breath away when you see it. I won't spoil it for you, but it is extremely well done. The ending is then unfortunately vandalized by a completely inept final minute, which again I won't spoil for you, but which will leave you groaning. <laughs> it kind of looks like a film that a few bored people threw together on their day off. I can forgive films for a lot of things. I actually like it when a film is a little bit terrible, as long as it has a fair pace or an ounce or two of charm. If it has neither of these things, and if it commits the cardinal sin of being boring, then all the Alan Jenkinses in the world cannot save it. I'll be honest, Shh, The Octopus might be the new worst film I've ever seen, and I've seen The Corpse Vanishes. This is it's a real shame because Alan Jenkins fighting a sea creature in a film called Shh, The Octopus should have been the ingredients of a very guilty pleasure. Next up, something of a supernatural curio from 1945. This is The Man in Half Moon Street, starring Nils Aster, Helen Walker, and Reinhold Schunzel, which sounds very much like the name of a German dessert. Anyway, this is the tale of the mysterious Dr. Carell, a scientist who's discovered the secret to eternal life by transplanting human glands onto his own. Not those types of glands, in case you were wondering. Anyway, through these means, Dr. Carell has reached the age of 120 years old, and he still doesn't look a day over 40. The problem is that the doctor who assists him in his operations is nearing death through old age. How will Dr. Carell receive the life-extending operation now without revealing his secret to the world? Uh, you very young, then, huh? <laughs> I'm still young. In spirit. Body. Julia, why not give the result of your experiment to the world now? Now? We have been waiting for 60 years. But it isn't ready. It isn't perfected. That's the point. It's just where it was after our first experiment. Each successive one has given you a new lease on youth. But we have gotten no further. It seems as though all we are fated to learn, we know already. So what you end up with here is a curious blend of universal horror and Dorian Gray. In fact, this is very much like the kind of film that Boris Karloff was starring in all throughout the 30s. The kind of thing where he murders half a dozen people in the name of science and utters the immortal words, I must be given time to finish my experiments. The stakes are a little different here. Dr. Carell is taking the glands of human subjects for selfish reasons rather than scientific progress. He's fallen in love with Helen Walker, you see, and he's in danger of turning into an old man, so the race is on to conceal his true age. I must admit, I wasn't expecting too much, but it really grabbed me. Unlike Shh, the Octopus, it moves very quickly and sets up its central dilemmas very swiftly and naturally. It helps no end that it's peopled with a great supporting cast. Paul Kavanagh pops up as a love rival who senses that something is off and attempts to sniff out the truth for himself. You have Edmund Brion as Helen Walker's father, Morton Lowry as Carell's next victim who's being slowly driven insane. 
Fans of Universal Potboilers, and especially of their Sherlock Holmes series starring Rathbone and Bruce, will instantly recognise this trio as three of the most dependable of their stock players. Plus, the film really skips along to its conclusion, which is capped off with another great special effect at the end when time finally catches up with Dr. Carell. Darling, what's wrong? Nothing serious. I... I couldn't get the prescription filled. Will you get me a glass of water? Shall I see if there's a doctor on the train? No, just a glass of water, please. Seriously, a much better film than I was expecting. Perfect late-night creepy thriller. Do check out The Man in Half Moon Street. Lastly, I do love a con man in and I especially love a con man in a 1940s movie. And I especially, especially love it when that con man is played by one of the greatest there ever was, Mr. Cary Grant. This is one of my favourite films ever. A 1943 romantic comedy with a dark edge. The tale of a crooked gambler who's forced to find the good in himself when he falls in love with a good-natured socialite in the days running up to when America joined World War II. And the film's name is Mr. Lucky. You know, we have to send a whole shipload of medical supplies to Europe. It's frightfully expensive. I do hope you want to make your donation in cash. I always do business in cash. Oh, that's splendid. You'll have to help me, though. You see, I'm a boss gambler. That's my business. Now, this uh, charity affair of yours has made the order. All you have to do is give me the gambling concession. Gambling? Sure, blackjack, chuckaluck, roulette. I'll raise the dough for you in one evening. I don't understand. Well, it's simple. You're giving a ball. We take rooms next to it. You steer the customers in. I supply the dealers, the tables, the layout. All you have to do is sit back and rake in the winnings. But are there always winnings? Supposing you lose? Well, look, say what I mean. You roll the dice. You're the customer. Shall I? Sure, go on, roll Snake eyes, eh? Now, what's the difference? Seven. See the difference? I'm lucky. I can't lose. Now, roll them again. That's all right. Put them in the glass. Rattle it about. That's it now. See, four. Tough point to make. Now, what's this? Seven. How do you do it? Influence. You bring me the right people, I'll get you that hundred thousand. But it's, it's gambling. Not the way I do it. So I won't go into the plot too much here, as it's much better if you know nothing about it going in. Suffice to say that Cary Grant is playing firmly against the typical Cary Grant persona here. He starts the film as something of a bastard, and of course undergoes something of a rebirth throughout the film. Like I say, this film has a slightly darker edge, because while the romantic comedy sections are very light and charming, the more dramatic sections are definitely pitched a little blacker. There is violence in this film, as well as a heartbreaking section where Grant's character is read a letter from a Greek mother to her son, describing the sacrifices going on in Europe. It's very well written, very well played, extremely well cast and produced to within an inch of its life. In short, it is classic 1940s Hollywood filmmaking at its best. You have romance and comedy and charm and a really engaging story, but all tied together by a serious message and starring perhaps the most charming man that Hollywood ever gave us. So the crunk and me are sitting in this coffee joint when in comes a pot and pan with his cheese and kisses. Pot and pan, that's a man. Huh? 
Cheese and kisses. That's the missus. Sure. <laughs> well. Well, the cook said to me, Piper Heisick the ice opposed on that guy's storm and strife and the Tommy Horner. Oh, wait a minute. I'm lost. Pipe. Piper Heisick, that's just pipe. pipe. Take a look. Yeah, at the ice opposed. Oh, the nose. Yeah, on that guy's storm and strife and the Tommy Horner. On his wife. Huh? In, in the corner. Right. <laughs> well, what happened? The guy come over and punched the crunk in the snoot. Why? He was from Australia. <laughs> oh. By the way, the love interest in this film is Lorraine Day, probably best known for her role in Hitchcock's Foreign Correspondent and for her recurring role in the Dr. Kildare films. Lorraine Day is a ridiculously beautiful woman. She has the kind of face that draws your attention away from everything around her. Certainly when I watch the Dr. Kildare films, of which I am a huge fan, I do find myself losing large chunks of the plot because I'm too busy gawping at her. She had a very interesting career, actually, one that I'll talk about more in length another time. Also in the cast, you have Charles Bickford, who was a cohort of James Cagney in his theatre days, and who really made his mark on Hollywood in the 40s with this series of great supporting roles, where he generally played the gold-hearted man of wisdom. He is always a pleasure to watch. I was trying to work this out today, and I think that outside of his Hitchcock films, I have seen Mr. Lucky more than any other Cary Grant film, simply because every time I see it pop up in my collection, I always find myself smiling and reaching for it. I know many of you will probably have seen it already, but if you haven't, then I'm sure it'll become a fast favourite once you've given it a whirl. And if you have seen it, then I'm pretty sure that just reminding you of it will be enough to make you search it out again. But if you simply can't wait to jump on into Mr. Lucky, then stick around. Because I have an awesome radio adaptation from the Lux Radio Theatre, reuniting the stars Cary Grant and Lorraine Day in their original roles. So forget the noisy, messy world outside for an hour. Leave it all behind for a while and escape with me now to an altogether simpler time. It gives me every pleasure to present Mr. Lucky, starring Cary Grant and Lorraine Day. I will see you on the other side. And now the curtain for Mr. Lucky and the first act, starring Cary Grant as Joe and Lorraine Day as Dorothy, with Arthur Hole as Swede. The night fog hangs low over the New York's waterfront. At the end of a long pier, a girl paces slowly back and forth, stopping at intervals to gaze out toward the sea. From the shadows of a dark building, a watchman peers at her suspiciously. Then, with a sudden movement, he begins to walk quickly toward the girl. Brother, I wouldn't bother her if I were you. Oh, wouldn't you? Well, thanks for the advice. But how do I know she ain't going to jump? She's all right. She's not going to do anything. She's just going to stand there and look out to sea. She ain't got no right out there without a pass. Brother, she could get a pass to the White House if she wanted it. She's a somebody. Uh, speaking of passes, where's yours? Oh, you're new here, aren't you? Take a look. Oh, ship's master, huh? You see, I told you she was all right. She's just standing there. Well, what's she going to do now? She's watching for a ship to come in. Only it's sitting at the bottom of the Atlantic. What ship is that? Used to be called the Fortuna. Oh, yeah, that gambling ship. She used to be sitting right here at this dock once. That's right. She was owned by a boss gambler called Joe the Greek. Ever hear of him? Oh, sure I did. Everybody who read the newspapers did. Did you know him? Yeah, I was master of the Fortuna. Say, tell me, uh, was he really a Greek? Nobody ever knew what he was except tough. 
Been too smart for his own good. Oh. <laughs> crossed you up, huh? No, he crossed himself up. Oh. That girl there. Right here on this pier was the last time she ever saw him. Now, when was that? Back a ways when we had the Fortuna tied up here. We weren't operating then. We were broke and full of trouble. One day, that was in October 1941. You see, we'd been driven off the West Coast by the law and put in here to raise a bankroll so we could operate in Havana. Joe was kind of up against it. A little Greek sailor we had aboard, a guy named Bascopoulos, was pretty sick. Joe came waltzing up the gangplank with his face full of fine and dandy and his heart full of ice water. Hiya, Swede. How's Bascopoulos? Looks like he's going to join Barnum and Bailey, Joe. Yeah, what'd the doc say? Well, according to the doc, he's already gone. Uh-huh. Said he wouldn't last over an hour, two hours ago. All gone inside. Say, how did it go uptown today? Swell, thanks, Swede. I got the plans to take off the boat. We can sail any time. Good. You know those mugs of yours are getting kind of restless. Yeah? Well, let me know when Bascopolis goes. I'll be in the gambling room. Right. Hey, fellas, here's Joe. Oh, Hi, Joe. boys. Well, anything happened today, Joe? Plenty, boys. I got it. Yeah? You mean the boat's released? Cost me ten grand, but it was worth it. Look at that. Signed by his honor, the Superior Court Judge. It took seven lawyers to write it up legal and Joe to do the fixing. Here's that. Put it in the safe. Boys, we're sending for Havana as soon as Bescopolis kicks off. Forget it, Joe. This ship ain't going nowhere. Who says so? Your Uncle Sam. What is it, Zep? A rib? Yeah. Take a gander at these little postcards. They arrived this morning. Yeah. Hmm. St. Biscopolis, D. Zepp, Joe Adams. Hey, that's me. What is this thing? It's from your draft board, Joe. You've been classified. I have, huh? 1A? They can't do this to me. I'm a civilian. It's what you think. Take a look at mine. I got the same thing. They don't even give you time to cut off a leg. Oh, listen, this isn't my war. I had my war. Crawling out of the gutter the hard way. I won that one. I don't recognize any other war. Ah, it's okay, Joe. Don't worry. I got it all fixed. Yeah, well, go on, Crunk. Well, we can hop a plane out of here for Mexico City in two hours. What? Yeah. From there, we can catch a plane for Rio. You can wait South America till this soldier business blows oh, over. Oh, sure. Take it easy, Crunk. Look, you think I'm going to give up the boat on account of this card? None of you other guys got one, huh? Just you and me and Biscopolis. Yeah, well, where's Biscopolis' card? What did he get? Hmm, 4F. <laughs> What's that? Means they don't want him. He's physically unfit. A lucky stiff. Yeah, he's physically unfit, all right. <laughs> he's just about dead. Or is he? Oh, you mean... Uh... Oh, yeah, I get it. All right, boys, get lost. You only want to talk. Gabriscopolis, 4F, huh? One of us is out of the army, Joe. Yeah, who declared you in? Well, we're partners, ain't we? That's a 50-50 proposition in my book. <laughs> what do you want, half the card... I'll trade you. My half the boat for the car, Joe. How good would the boat do me in the Army? The one that gets the car gets the boat along with it. Who gets it, Joe? Mm-hmm. You want a cut for it? No. Poker dice. All right, you got a deal. I'll get the dice. Now, wait a minute. Can't you wait and make the thing legal? What's wrong with poker dice? Not a thing, only the guy ain't dead yet. I never took anything off a pal in my life. After he joins the circus, well, that's different. <laughs> Come on in, Crunk. Is the doc still here? Yeah. It's all over, Joe. Bus couple has just kicked off. Okay. Here's the dice. Take your best shot, Zep. Right. The winner gets the draft card. And the boat. Now shoot him. Hey, hey. Keep your hands above the table, Zep. Huh? What do you mean, Joe? Just roll them. Oh, sure, Joe. 
Three kings. Three kings. It's up to you, Joe. Yeah. Nice rolling, Zep. But this ain't amateur night. I don't get you. No? Now, didn't you see an elephant walk across the table with muddy feet? I didn't play the switch on you, Joe. Didn't you? Then blow on him for luck. Go on, blow. Okay. Sure. I wouldn't shove around my own partner. Oh, sure you wouldn't. Three kings to beat, huh? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Holy smoke! Uh, read them, Zep. What do you say? Three aces? Yeah. <laughs> well, Zep, take good care of yourself. I'll have a nice big service flag hung up with a single star on it just for you. Well, that's the way Joe Adams got to be Joe Biscopolis. That afternoon, he went uptown again with Trunk to raise $50,000. We needed that much dough so we could sail. Well, how about it, Joe? Did you raise the wind? Raise the wind? I couldn't even raise a good cough. I don't know what happened to this town. Well, what about all those soft touches you made? Ah, the heat's on. They either got caught in the draft or went square and paid their income taxes. Huh, income taxes. Ah, looks like our luck is out. Hey, Lewis, look. Look at what? That, that car parked there. Look at the license. 7L7777. Five sevens. Five naturals. Oh, this is going to change your luck, boss. Come on, come on, get in. Oh, you get in. I'll wait here. What, boss? You know it's no good if we both don't get in together. What's the matter? You're trying to jinx it or something? Come on. Oh, uh, okay. I beg your pardon, sir. It's okay, bud. We just want to sit in the back for a second. But the lady I drive for... It won't hurt anything. Now, sit down, Crunk. Oh, boy. Five naturals. Please, sir. The lady I drive Take for... Take it easy. Now, is that long enough, Crunk? Yeah, I guess so. Well, get out. This guy's getting nervous. Howard, we'll go right back to... Oh. Oh, sorry. Uh, Miss Bryant, these gentlemen just opened the door and sat down. Uh, I don't know what... It's all right, Howard. How do you do? Uh, how do you do? Can I sell you a ticket to our charity ball? Oh, sure. One or two? Mm, two. Here you are. They're $50 a piece. Oh, 50... A cheap affair, isn't it? <laughs> Not exactly. But we're trying to raise $100,000. Oh, you know. Well, that's a coincidence. What's it for, sister? War Relief Incorporated. Oh, I'm interested in relief. <clears throat> Where are your headquarters? The address is on the ticket. I see. Well, thanks. Here, you keep the tickets. I'll look you up. As a matter of fact, I may throw something your way. Thank you. I beg your pardon, but but did you say you wanted to contribute $70 to our war relief? Or was it $700? Neither. I said $70,000. Oh, yes, I, I thought... Well, do sit down. Do, Mr. Uh, I, I don't believe I got your name. Joe. How are you? Joe? Oh, Joseph. <laughs> Mr. Joseph. Well, you couldn't have come at a more timely moment. You know, we have to send a whole shipload of medical supplies to Europe. I, I do hope you want to make your donation in cash. I always do business in cash. Oh, that's splendid. You'll have to help me, though. Of course. Well, you see, I'm a boss gambler. That's my business. Oh, we never inquire into one's association. Yeah, now, this uh, this charity affair of yours, that's made to order. All you have to do is give me the gambling concession. Gambling? Sure. Blackjack, chuckalock, roulette. I'll raise the dough for you in one evening. I, I don't understand. Well, it's simple. You're given a ball, we take rooms next to it. You steer the customers in, that's all. I supply the dealers, the tables, the layout. All you have to do is sit back and rake in the winnings. But uh, are there always winnings? Suppose you lose. Oh, we can't. Now, look, I'll show you what I mean. Here's the dice. You roll them. You're the customer. Uh, shall I? Sure, go on. Roll them. There, you see? Snake eyes. <laughs> you lose. Now, what's the difference? Seven. I win, see? I'm lucky. I can't lose. Well. I'll do it again. This time, I'll make a dump shot. A what? A dump shot. 
Hand me the glass. Now, watch. See? Seven. How do you do it? Influence. <clears throat> if you bring me the right people, I'll get you that hundred thousand. But but it's gambling. Not the way I do it. It so happens that gambling is against the law in this country. Oh, hello, you. Oh, well, Dorothy, this is Mr. Joseph, my lieutenant, Miss Bryce. I've already had the pleasure. It so happens, Mr. Joseph, that we have a committee of financial advisors. Strange, they've never hit upon your plan if it's so sound. Well, not everyone can do it, uh, Lieutenant. Kind of, uh... Dangerous? Well, uh... That's what I mean. Oh, I'm afraid Miss Bryant's right. Uh, perhaps if you send us a letter explaining your plan in detail... Yes, and we'll take it up at our next meeting. But you're in a hurry for this, though. You can't afford to wait for meetings. Well, we can't afford to sponsor something we might later regret. Oh, now, wait. Dorothy, don't forget your appointment at the bank. Oh, all right. Thanks. Goodbye, Mr. Joseph. I'm sorry, Mr. Joseph. Hey, uh, look. What bank is that? Why, it's at 31 East 39th. Oh, thanks, Toots. <laughs> Listen, boss, this ain't no bank. This is a blood bank. Well, what's the difference? Where's the girl? But they take away your blood here. You want to lose your blood? Quiet. Next, please. Good afternoon. Hello, Miss Bryant. This is your third visit, isn't it? Yes. We'll have your silver button waiting for you as soon as you're through. Thank you. Sit right over there, please. Well, hello. Hello. Well, well, this is quite a surprise. Not particularly. It so happens I rather expected it. And if you think your persistence is going to have any effect on me, you're mistaken. Well, I can't see how you people can pass up $100,000 for the cause. For whose cause? If you're so interested in serving the cause, why don't you join the Army? Oh, me? Oh, well, I'm 4F. You look 1A to me. Well, you don't look so bad yourself. <clears throat> I mean, uh, well, she's my arteries. Well, should arteries. you be giving blood? Oh, well, my blood's 1A. It's just my arteries are 4F. <laughs> see, look. Look, Cecil, so they're on my cards, eh? J. Best. Vescopolis. I thought you said your name was Joseph. Well, if a fellow went around calling himself Vescopolis, think what other people would call him. <laughs> look, uh, <clears throat> look, miss, why didn't you let me finish when I was trying to tell that lady at the war charities? Huh? It so happens I don't trust your motives. Oh, fine. Here I am giving my life's blood and she don't trust my motives. The person who gets your life's blood will probably develop a sudden passion for the dump shot. Yeah? And a poor soldier who gets your blood, they can use him for an ice cube. Next, Miss Bryant. Ready. Goodbye, Mr. Biscopolis. And the answer is still no. Hey, boss. 1A is back. Huh? Zep, he ain't in the army yet. Hiya, Joe. What's uh, doing? Hello. How come you're not in uniform, Zep? Well, I got a couple weeks before I go to camp. I ain't got any place to flop. Okay, if I stay here on the boat. Sure, why not? Thanks. How you coming with the bankroll? I got a crack at the biggest bankroll in New York, if it works. What's holding it up? <laughs> An iceberg. But I'll melt it down. Yeah. Okay, if I get something to eat. Sure, go down to the galley, see what they got. Thanks, Joe. Thanks a lot. Boss, when you clean out a guy like Zip, you hadn't ought to keep him around. Oh, now, Crunk, is that any way to treat a soldier? Yeah, but I'm telling you, Chief, a guy like that should... Crunk, never give a sucker an even break. And always keep an eye on a pal. Remember that. Mm-hmm. Hey, where can I get a car? I've got to put on the dock for a few days. Well, I know a fellow in town's got a sedan. Yeah, I'll get it. Meet me on the dock in a half hour. Okay. Yes? Oh, Miss Bryant, there's a recruit out here in the office. But, Miss Bryant, it, it's rather a special case. Well, send her in before she changes her mind. Hello. Oh, well, what do you want here? 
I'm her. Oh, I see. Look, uh, I've been thinking about what you said yesterday. And I was, uh, well, I was wondering why you couldn't use me in this setup. You mean you want to enlist in this organization? Yeah, it's time for every man to do his bit. If it wasn't for this weak heart, believe me, I... Arteries. Well, arteries, arteries. Same thing. How about it? What about this gambling at the ball business? Oh, that. Oh, I forgot it. Too bad. It was a good idea. Yeah, good for the cause. Well, never mind. Let it go. Well, as personnel officer, I have no right to refuse any enlistment. However, I think I should warn you. We've had a few men before, but they all asked to be transferred to more active branches. So many women around got on their nerves. <laughs> oh, that won't bother me. I might have known. But perhaps you'd better read this first. We expect a lot of our workers. Well, well, thank you. Do you mind if I sit down, please, ma'am? Oh, no, of course not. Uh, Dorothy, I just thought... Oh. oh. Hiya, Ted. Hiya. He's <laughs> going to enlist, Veronica. <gasps> enlist? Really? Yes, ma'am. You sure you know what you're doing? I'd do anything to help the cause, anything. Oh, I think that's wonderful. You're sure you know what you're doing? Definitely. Well, now you fill the application and I'll get you a button. Thank you. Sign on the bottom line, Mr. Baskopolis. No, no. No, no. Baskopolis, I didn't think you'd forget me. <laughs> I don't intend to. You mean sign here? Uh, that's right. Okay. Here's your button. Now you're one of us, Mr. Uh... Baskopolis. Oh, Greek? Uh, American, naturalized. Oh, yes. Well, well, Dorothy will take care of you and come and tell me how you're getting on. Oh, yes. I think it's perfectly wonderful. Ah, well, everything's fixed. I'm in. Stand up. Huh? Take your hat off my desk. What? Put out that cigarette. Recruits are not allowed to smoke during office what, hours. What? And before you leave, uh, put a fresh bottle of water on that cooler, please. Uh, well, yeah, sure, sure. How would you like to begin with a propaganda project? Um, yes, sir, or madam. Now tell me, do you know how to knit? Knit? I asked if you knew how to knit. Knit? In England, men who are incapacitated knit without hesitation. Knit? Why, the best knitter I ever saw was Wing Commander Barnstable. He picked it up while he was in a plaster cast. I don't knit. That's exactly the attitude we're trying to combat. Now, look here, I don't mind... We want a group I... of obviously masculine men to take up knitting. Do it perfectly casually in public places. Hmm. Do you think I'm strong enough? I'm quite serious. Oh. Half the women who were knitting for us last year are now learning to drive ambulances and run buses. But look, I... I... You don't seem to have caught the idea of the organization you've just joined, Mr. Biscopolis. We're people who won't be able to get into the actual fighting. We resent that fact. So we take our resentment out in doing our best to help when and how we can. Well, no, I'm not backing out. I can't knit because I don't know how. That settles it. Report to Mrs. Van Every. She's our best instructor. Oh, now, wait a minute. Or do I tear up this application? Oh... Okay. Okay. I knit. Good. You may report to Mrs. Van Every. Thank you, madam. I knit. Go ahead. Look, just one more thing. Yes? When do I get to trim a hat? Before Mr. DeMille presents Cary Grant and Lorraine Day in Act Two of Mr. Lucky, it's time for mail call. Just a quick look at a few of the letters we've received from men in uniform. You see, a lot of boys who've never washed so much as a pair of socks in their lives are learning to cope with the laundry problem <laughs> and writing in to tell us how Lux Flakes has helped them solve it. One boy writes from Georgia that when he was washing his fatigue uniform with Lux, <laughs> the fellows couldn't figure out how he got so many studs in the tub. And a sailor, storekeeper second class to be exact, tells us that other Lux fans are pikers compared with him. He uses Lux for his blue uniforms. 
Says it gives him a fine lather, rinses out easily, and leaves the wool soft. Another Navy man, a Seavey from one of the construction battalions, passes along a smart idea. He luxes his blue uniforms, too, and uses an old toothbrush and Lux suds to get the white braid clean. I guess we could say, Sally, the boys are getting uniformly good results from Lux Flakes. That would be putting it mildly. Well, that's the way to put it when you're talking about Lux, isn't it? Seriously, though, Lux is mild and gentle. That's why it's such safe care, not only for Army and Navy uniforms, but for civilian washables, too. Sweaters, dresses, and blouses. It helps washables last longer because it is so very gentle. It's thrifty to use. A little gives you so many rich, long-lasting suds. So don't waste Lux. Use all you need to get good suds, but no more than you need. Next time you shop, be sure you get Lux Flakes. Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille. Act two of Mr. Lucky, starring Cary Grant as Joe and Lorraine Day as Dorothy. Yeah, this Joe was a funny guy. There he was, working in that war charity place, trying to get next to some easy dough so we could open the gambling ship. Looked like everything was going his way, too. Only there was a couple of things he didn't know. Number one, that Zepp guy was never drafted. When he went for his physical, he got a 4F. Number two, Zepp knew something about the real Joe Piscopolis. He knew he was a three-time loser who had to report to the parole board every month. But what Joe didn't know wasn't hurting him, not yet, anyway. Well, down at the war charity place one morning, there was a little trouble. The ladies were in some kind of a jam about money. All I know is I want 1,200 bucks. Please don't shout. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me, ladies. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Mr. Biscopolis. Well, what seems to be the trouble? Well, well, she owes me 1200 bucks. That's the trouble. He's trying to charge us $6 a piece for some second-hand blankets. I could have oh. got 10 bucks. Millions of refugees shivering in tents, and this preacher tries to hold us up. You ought to be ashamed of yourself raising your price just because blankets are hard to get. That's the old law of supply and demand, lady, and it ain't been repealed yet. Six bucks a piece. Where's my check? I tell you, we haven't it in our account. All right. All right, then. I take back the blanket. Oh, now, wait. Now, wait. Look. You look like a pretty good sport, Mr. Uh, McDougal. Uh, McDougal, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll flip you. I'll give you 2600 If I lose, I'll pay for it out of my own kick. I wouldn't want to have those shivering refugees on my conscience. Now, uh, what do you say, Mr. McDougal? 2000 or 600 Yeah. You're on. Okay, now, I'll toss the coin and you... Ed! Oh, wait a minute. I Oh, I am sorry. I couldn't do it with this coin. You see, it's got tails on each side. I got it from a gambler. I wouldn't want to jip you. See, you'd have lost. Oh, well, thanks. Now, uh, <clears throat> what do you say we do that old behind-the-back routine, you know? Behind the back? Yeah, you, you guess what hand it's in. Oh, yeah, sure. Go on. Yeah. Now, uh, <clears throat> are you all ready? I'm ready. All right, which hand? The left. The left. Well, let's see. No, it isn't in the left. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Mr. McDougal. We get the blankets for 600. Oh, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You ought to give me another chance to break even. Double or nothing. No, no. I don't think I could do that, Mr. McDougal. Some of the main guys in here don't like gambling. Double or nothing. Come on. Well, well, all right. Now, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, double or nothing. Now, here you are. Right hand or left? The left. Open it up. Here you are. Empty. <laughs> you know, that's a funny thing. That wouldn't happen again in a thousand times. Yeah, it won't happen again to me. Never mind. You'll sleep well tonight because you did a good deed for a worthy cause. Now, here's a button. Now, you're one of us. I have contributed to War Relief Incorporated. Yeah. I have been taken by War Relief Incorporated. 
scared, Joe beat him fair and square. That coin Joe used, though, had a little pin in it. And when he put his hands behind him, he stuck it on the back of his coat. So it was never in either hand. Fair and square, according to Joe. But it saved the charity $1,200. And then there was a time he went down to the docks with Miss Bryant. There was more trouble about loading some trucks. I've been trying to think of some way to thank you for getting us the blanket. Well, the percentage was in our favor. The other guy was doing the guessing. You know, ever since you first came in, I've been trying to figure out why. Oh, now, look. What's a guy supposed to do? Put his heart on a plate before you'll trust him? What do you think you'll get out of helping us? I told you. I'm just trying to do my bit. That doesn't explain anything. Oh, well, I just don't like to talk about it, that's all. But, uh, look, the name of Boscopolis goes back a long time. You mean in Greece? Yeah, over in Greece, where the Nazis are pushing them around. Look, how do I know what happened to my brothers and my kid sister? You think I like the idea of those guys walking into my mother's little kitchen? I lie awake at night trying to figure out how to help. They turn me down for military service. So I do the next best thing. I try to raise dough to get supplies for those poor people. So now you know. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Oh, that's all right. Don't apologize. I'm sorry I had to tell you that's all. Now, uh, <clears throat> now, what about this guy we have to see? Oh, he won't unload our supplies until he gets a check. They're medical supplies, and they're important to save lives. I see. Well, I'll talk to him. Joe, what's that in your hand? This? Oh, a roll of dimes. Why do you carry it? Mm, habit. Fits nice in your hand. Joe talked to the guy all right. And when he got done, the guy really listened to reason. Of course, that pack of dimes in Joe's hand helped a little. Oh. Down on the truck, boys. Joe, your face is covered. On your coat's all ripped. Come on, let's get back to the charity. What happened in there? Oh, you misunderstood that guy. Nice fella, family man. What happened to your dime? Oh, oh I tipped the guy. Did you have to tip him very hard? What, me? Fight? Go on, I'm a peace-loving citizen. Joe, he might have killed you. I'll be silly, it's just a scratch. Say, do you mind if we stop at the table so I can get him to sew this fiddle? The what? The fiddle and flute, the suit. Oh, what kind of double talk is that? Oh, it's a language I picked up in Australia, like, uh, well, like shoes, ones and twos. Sounds like poetry. Well, that's the idea, jingles. Like, uh, like you're a girl, twist and twirl. Well, what are you? Me? I'm a bloke. There's a heap of coke. Uh, well, this twist and twirl is going to take care of the heap of coke's, uh, scratch. <laughs> Cabbage patch. <laughs> we'll stop at my house. It's on the way. Uh, oh. Anybody home? No. Hmm, fine. Have Mr. Biscopolis' coat fixed, Foster. Uh, yes, Miss Dorothy. Will you take it off, please, sir? Yeah, sure. I'll get some bandages. What were you saying before, Joe? <laughs> oh, yeah. So the, uh, so the crunk and me are sitting in this coffee joint when in comes a pot and pan with his cheese and kisses. Pot and pan? That's a man. Yeah. Cheese and kisses? That's a nephew. Sure. Well? Well, the crunk said to me, Pipe behind Zick, the I suppose on that guy's storm is strife in the Tommy Horner. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm lost. Piper? Pipe behind Zick, that's just pipe, you know. Take a look. Yeah. At the I suppose... The nose? Uh-huh. On that guy's storming strife in the Tommy Horner. On his wife? Yeah. In the corner? Right. <laughs> well, what happened? <laughs> the guy come over and punched the crunk right in the snoot. Why? Well, the guy was from Australia. Oh! Your coat, sir? Yeah, here you are, John. Where can I wash up? Oh, to your left, sir. 
Well, uh, don't go away, Miss Bryant. <laughs> I won't. Uh, Miss Dorothy. Yes? Shall I telephone for a bottle and stopper? A what? A copper in the American vernacular. Why, Foster, don't tell me you've been to Australia. Oh, that's where I met my storm and strife, uh, uh, Mrs. Foster. Oh. Uh, please forgive me, Miss Dorothy, but are you aware of the character of this gentleman? Oh, I think so. Why? Do you know he carries a lady from Bristol? A what? A pistol in American... In the American parlance, a rod, if you get what I mean. Oh, well, don't be alarmed. I think it's part of his character. He, he carries it for balance. Uh, yes, Miss Dorothy. <laughs> Take the coat along, Foster, and see if Mrs. Barnes will sew it up. What's that, Foster? A coin, miss. It fell out of the pocket. Let me see that. A coin with a pin on the back. That's rather an unusual ornament, isn't it, miss? Oh, it's not an ornament, Foster. It's really very practical. <laughs> You're coming with the fiddle. Here you are. Thanks. By the way, Foster was quite alarmed. He thought I should send for a bottle and stopper. Yeah? What for? The lady from Bristol. Oh, that. <laughs> well, I wouldn't feel dressed without one. Have you ever killed anyone? No, I'm too good a shot. <laughs> hey, look, look. Don't get me wrong. I'm a gambler, not a gangster. Tell me some more. Some more what? Some more jingle talk. Oh, that. Hmm, okay. Now, uh, now, look. If we were going together, mm-hmm. uh, you'd be my briny marlin, my darling, see? Then I'd be the guy who'd give you uh, that simple Simon, diamond, for your long and linger, finger. The guy who'd give me this simple Simon was my mother. Oh, yeah? More. Well, uh, Barnet Fair's your hair. Dots and dyes, eyes. Yeah, I suppose, nose. North and south, mouth. That's where you get the honey and bliss. Kiss. Oh, Joe! That's enough, Joe. Come on, take off your mask. You're with friends. Don't be silly. Come on, Briny Marlin. Don't play games. Let me go. I'm, I'm not playing games. Well, don't give me those baby blues. You think I brought you here because... Because... Well, didn't you? Because... Well, didn't you? I have you changed your mind. All right. Suppose we settle it with that game you played with McDougal. Oh, you mean the, uh, mm-hmm. the coin stuff? Behind the back. Okay. Well, here's a coin. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, which hand is it then? Neither. Oh, come on, play fair. you got to guess. Neither. Open them both. Okay. You see? Oh. It's in the left. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. What do you know? It looks like you lost. But... Oh. When you played it with McDougal, you... Yeah, that's right. I pinned it on the back of my coat. But that was different. You never give a sucker an even break. But don't cheat a friend. I believe in that. I live by it. You don't think I'd play phony with you? Well, uh... <clears throat> you lost. <laughs> I... I didn't know the rules of the game. No, you didn't. Well, okay. Where's my tit-for-tat? Hat! Joe, wait. Well? Joe... Will you run the gambling concession at the bar? Oh, well, well. You sure you can trust me? Now I know I can. Okay, you got a deal. Hello, Grandfather. Foster said you wanted to see me. Yes, uh, sit down, Dorothy. Wait till I pot of my eye, suppose, and comb my bonnet fair. Where on earth did you pick up such gibberish? From Foster. It's wonderful slang, Grandfather. You should talk to him. I have been talking to Foster. Oh? 
What do you mean, Doc, by bringing a gangster into this house? Oh, now, don't tell me you're worrying about me, Grandfather. I'd give you odds against any eight gangsters in the city, but I don't want them coming to my house. What can you see in a fellow like that? Joe is the first man I've ever met I'm afraid of. It's exciting. Joe, see here, Doc, this fellow hasn't been making advances to you, has he? Of course. He kissed me. What? Right on the north and south. Oh, I pretended to be angry, but... The truth is, I like it. Now, see here, I will not have this kind oh, of thing. Oh, now, Grandfather, don't worry. I'm quite safe. Get rid of him, child. Get rid of him at once. Well, I suppose I should. Yes, I, I think he'd be too hard to tame. Good night, Grandfather. Uh, Dot, what's his name? The heap of coke? Oh, you'll never believe me. Joe Viscopolis. Joe what? Viscopolis. Now, do you wonder why I call him by his first name? Good night, Granny Marlin. Viscopolis. Yes? Miss Bryant, there are three men here to see you. What about? Well, I I think they're detectives, Miss Bryant. Oh. Well, send them in. Miss Bryant? Come in. Where can we find Joe Biscopolis? He isn't here. Where's his desk? Out there. Thanks. Wait. I'm so glad you came. My grandfather sent for you, didn't he? I always thought there was something wrong with Mr. Biscopolis. We want to have a little talk with him. Anything serious? When a guy's been convicted three times, carrying a gun is plenty serious. Oh. Oh, excuse me. Didn't know anyone was here. Oh, it, it, it's all right. Who's that? Oh, um, he's the man from the water company. It's about time you showed up, Inspector. Huh? Yeah, why? I've telephoned the water company several times today. Is this your idea of reliability? Three bottles and stoppers arrived this afternoon with no coolers. Oh, three bottles and stoppers? Yes. Mm. Is this the best service you can give us? I've just about made up my mind to to take our business elsewhere. Well, where, for instance? I think the Plaza Fountain Place will serve our needs in the future. Okay, lady. Go on up to the Plaza Fountain Place. Will you sit down, gentlemen? I'm afraid you'll have to wait. Hiya, clever girl. I figured you'd mentioned meet me at the fountain. Oh, Joe, I was scared. Why should the cops be trying to pick me up? Grandfather, you will carry a lady from Bristol. Oh, they picked me up for packing a rod. I can get sprung in a couple of hours. Come on, my car's over here. Get in. What for? The crunk's in my own car waiting around the corner. Well, I've already told him to go home. Now, don't ask questions. Get in. Okay. <laughs> Say, we're not only out of town, we're out of the state. Is it all right for me to ask questions now, please, teacher? <laughs> I have to talk to Grandfather. What? Well, he's back in New York. Oh, I have to talk to him on the phone. We passed thousands of good phones. No, this call must come from the right locality. Grandfather's no fool. Well, how far is the right locality? Pretty far. Relax, Joe. <laughs> Up. I've got a key somewhere. Sure. Hey, what is this place? The ancestral home. It's been closed a few months. Where do I turn on the lights? They're not connected. Oh. Is this the old man's place? No, mine. It comes from the other side of the family. The side that was always getting into trouble. Hmm. Well, that's the kind of trouble I'd like to get into. <clears throat> there are candles over here. Lend me your matches, Joe. You'll find some more candles on the table. I am? Say, uh, what's this over here? Just a little sitting room. Little? 
It's all right. This is where I used to entertain my bows. Uh -huh. After tea, we'd sit by the fire and hold hands. Will you light the fire, Joe? Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> Hello, operator. Oh, it's all right. This is Miss Bryant. Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. I want to talk to my grandfather in New York. Yes, that's the number. Will you ring? Thank you. Hey, you know, for a family that was always getting into trouble, they did all right. Well, it was yeah. just that they never seemed to behave the way people expected them to. There are the family portraits. Look at them, the crazy darlings. Maybe it will give you some idea of why I don't make them. What did that one do? Well, he was a great admirer of the ladies. Uh-huh. This one was a hunter and maker of 19th century love. Mm. Where'd he get his, though? From the first one. The next one wrote poetry, privately printed at his own expense. Yeah, where'd he get his, though? From the second one. He wasted his entire life trying to spend the family fortune. It finally killed him. Yeah, but where's the guy that made all the dough in the first place? Over here. My great-great-grandfather. From log cabin to rich. Ah, well, that's the guy. Hello. Oh. Well, will you call me when you get a line through? It's important. What are you going to use for an argument when you get him? Oh, I'm not going to say much. He's going to do most of the talking. He's going to tell me about your three convictions, and I'm going to tell him I don't care. Huh? What three convictions? Oh, don't pretend, Joe. It's all right. Oh, wait a minute. What are you talking about? I know all about it. The policeman told me today. Go on. I never took a rap in my life. Please, Joe. Be honest. Well, all right. I haven't always been on the level, but I kept my ears clean as far as John Law was concerned. Hello. Grandfather? Now, don't get excited. I'm in Maryland. Maryland. That's right. Grandfather, you sent those policemen to the office today, didn't you? Yes, I know you did. Well, listen. You know the laws of Maryland, don't you? Well, unless you give me your word of honor the police will be called off, I'm going to marry him. Marry him! Oh, I can't, can't I? Well, call my bluff. Go ahead. I'll give you ten seconds to make up your mind. What? Give me your word, then. Uh, thank you, darling. Good night. Well... Didn't I tell you to leave it up to me? Yeah. You're great. Well, it worked. Why wouldn't it work? You had a swell club to smack him with me. Joe. You think the worst thing it could happen to you is to marry me? But people like you, folks like me, are animals. We're so bad. <laughs> and you're so very good. And what do you expect, credit for it? How could you be anything else but what you had to start out with? You ought to be horsewhipped if you didn't turn out right. What are you so high and mighty about? What did you ever do? Joe. There's a guy, the guy up there. He made all your dough for you, and he was born in a log cabin. You know where I grew up? In a one-room shack with a dirt floor. You talk about this side of your family and that side of your family. As far as I know, we only had one side, and it was awful poor. Lots of times there wasn't much for to eat. That's why I ran away when I was nine. I got tired of being hungry and seeing my old lady go hungry until she died. Please, Joe. Oh, I'm not complaining. Okay with me. I just got a load of what it gives with your kind of people. My kind. I just know that your kind can look through me like I was a pane of dirty glass. Oh, Joe, it's not me. It's, it's people like Grandfather. I thought you knew how I felt. Sure, I know. <laughs> Anything for the cause. I'm not kidding myself, sister. I know how I stand with you after you cash in on me. You're wrong, Joe. You're all wrong. All right, come on. We can quarrel all the way back to New York. Wait a second. Did you mean that about me being wrong? Should have slapped your face. Well, why didn't you? Because you would have slapped mine back. 
I don't know what to make of a dame like you. Neither do I. Yes, I do, too. I suppose I've known for weeks that, that I'm in love with you. Hey. Oh, Joe. Joe, look at me. Won't you say something? Don't you like it? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I don't know whether I like it or not. Pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Mr. DeMille brings back Cary Grant and Lorraine Day in Act Three of Mr. Lucky. But now, let's look in at the house around the corner, where young Mrs. Adams is washing dishes and laying down the law at the same time. Any day now, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start rationing dishes around this house. You children can have one plate apiece, and if you want any more, you can just wash them yourselves. Well, my hands are in such a state right now, I'm ashamed to look at them. Sounds to me like a case for Lux Flakes. Say, uh, M- Mrs. Adams... Oh. How would you like your hands to lose that ugly dishpan look and grow soft and smooth again? Why, I'd love it, but who's going to wash the dishes? You are. All you have to do is change from that strong soap you're using to gentle Lux Flakes. Well, how do you know just changing to Lux will help my hands? We've proved it by actual tests. Scores of women proved that simply changing from strong soaps to Lux Flakes for dishes gets rid of dishpan redness. Mm, that certainly sounds worth trying. And that's not all. Those same gentle Lux Flakes that are so kind to hands do more work, too. Lux does up to twice as many dishes as the same weight of other well-known soaps tested. And before you ask me, yes, we've proved that, too. You mean I can actually do more dishes with the same weight of Lux and have my hands look softer and smoother, too? Uh-huh, I do. Well, my goodness, what am I waiting for? I'll run down to the store and get some Lux flakes right this minute. And, uh, Mrs. Adams, if you don't find Lux flakes in stock today, it's worth waiting for. Your dealer will have more soon. Remember... Lux does more dishes and saves your hands. Be sure you get Lux Flakes. Now, Mr. DeMille returns to the microphone. There's a secret to tell about one of our stars after the play, but now the curtain rises on the third act of Mr. Lucky, starring Cary Grant and Lorraine Day. Something funny happened to Joe after that. I guess he was falling for that girl the way he did. And then a letter came for Joe Biscopolis, the real one who died. It was in Greek, and Joe took it down to the Greek church and asked the priest to read it to him. You wish to see me, my son? Yes, Father. I got a letter. It's written in Greek. and kind of in a hurry, but I'll pay you if you read it for me. You can drop your offering in the fur box as you go out. I'm here to help those who need it. The letter's from your mother. Huh? Oh. oh. It says, Joseph, my beloved son. God grant this letter reaches you. Always you have broken my heart by the wicked things you have done. Yet surely when you hear of the terrible thing that has happened to those who love you, I believe that God will open your eyes and cleanse your heart. Well, uh, that's enough, Father. Thanks. I just want to know who it was from. Listen. I'd like to tell you of my great pride in my other sons, your brothers. It happened two Sundays ago as we were coming from church. 
There was a roaring in the sky, and suddenly great parachutes began to drift down toward the meadow below the village. There were only five guns in our village, but there were pitchforks and scythes and men of great strength. Your brother Petros and your brother Euladio led the other men into the meadow. There were patches of white lilies, but before the hour was done, it was as though the field were covered with red lilies. No one of our men lived, but a hundred Germans died, and Greek honor lived for an added hour. They possess our village, of course. I earn food by making their beds and washing their dishes at the inn. Yet I am sustained by my God and my great pride, thy mother, Maria. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks, Father. May God comfort you, my son. It was that same day that we opened the gambling concession at the ball. It was a big night and the dough was rolling in. Joe showed up about 11 o'clock. Ah, gee, boss. You sure picked a soft touch. Yeah? I guess we ought to leave something for charity, huh? Maybe a couple of grand? Even so, our grab ought to be over 200,000. Hey, what's the matter, boss? Crunk, did you ever sit on a park bench for two hours and look at yourself? Our grab is nothing. Huh? But I thought you said we was taking a whole take. No, I'm just keeping enough to pay off the boys. The rest goes to war relief. Yeah, but Joe... You don't mind if I double-cross myself, do you? Yeah, but look, Joe, I... You look. This charity bunch has a boat docking next week. They're loading her up with supplies going over to Greece. They need those things over there, and they're going to get them. Okay, Joe. Where's Joe? I got to see him. Hey, there's Zep. Well, let him in. Close the door. In here, Zep. What do you want here, Zep? Listen, Joe. There were a couple of parole officers down at the boat. What they got on you? Not me. Jay Baskopoulos. It turns out he was a three-time loser under the bombs law. Oh, that's it. Three convictions, huh? Yeah. I knew that put you on a spot, so I checked up. I found this letter from the parole board and some old clothes he left behind. One more rub with the lawn, the scopolis goes up for life. You better beat it, Joe. Not tonight. Well, I stalled them off, but suppose they come here. My neck's clean. Take over the cash box, Crunk. Okay. I gotta see somebody. What's business, Crunk? Okay. Gotta clean up, huh? What's the charity's cut? Beat it, Zep. You ain't got any business in here. No, I don't know. Maybe I better stick around. Where have you been, Briny Marlin? I've been waiting for you all night. What happened to you? Oh, I woke up. Oh, something's happened to me, too. Yeah, what? I was struck by lightning. Hey, nobody's dancing. Does it matter? Come on, dance with me, Joe. Look, you remember this. You were right, and I was wrong. For me, you're right, always. You'll get everything you want. You'll get enough to fill two ships, maybe three. There's something else I want. No, you stay away from guys like me. You'll only get hurt. I'm clearing out tonight. Clearing out? Where, Joe? Well, what's the difference? Joe, take me with you, please. Dorothy, this is Captain Costello of the police department. There's your man, Captain. Grandfather, you broke your word. Nothing of the kind. Captain Costello is here to stop this gambling. Grandfather, you can't. Yes, he can. All right, we're closed up. I'll tell the boys. But, Joe... Go far enough ahead. Send the committee upstairs. We'll count up. All right, Crunk, we're closing up. Hey, 
Where's the crunk? Close the door, Joe. Where is he? The boys took him inside. We're handling the money now. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. What is this? The law's downstairs. We're closing up. Who did you think you were fooling, Joe? We knew that dame had to ring through your nose. I'm declaring myself back in the old partnership. Any arguments? All that parole board needs to know is Biscopal has operated this game and those one-way doors clank shut for good. Oh, and I can prove I'm not Biscopalist. Okay, then you're Joe Adams, a draft dodger. That's good for ten years in Leavenworth. You better be a good boy, Joe. All right, I know when I'm licked. Here comes the dames to check up. Now, let him in. Don't open that door. I'll wait. Sit tight, Joe. I got a rod looking you right in the middle. Take it easy. What about the dough? We're taking it down the back way. Oh, all of it, huh? Every nickel. Here it is, Zep. Yeah. Put it down, Zep. Hands off, Joe. Put it down, Zep. Get away or I'll... Put it down, Zep. Wait, you... Oh. Hey, wait, wait. Hey. We gotta get out of here. Joe got out in the dark. He went down the fire escape with the dough in his arms and a bullet in his chest. I met him at the boat and took the slug out of him. But he was a pretty sick guy. Next morning, he sent me around to the girl's house with the dough wrapped up in some newspaper. Wait a minute. Where is he? Where's who? Where did you get this money? The man I met in the park. He asked me to bring it to you. You're lying to me. Oh, where is he? Where's Joe? Joe? I don't know any Joe. What did he look like? The man who gave you the money? I don't know. I never saw him before in oh, my life. Oh, wait. Please. She tried to find him for weeks. But I had the guy hiding out. Meanwhile, everything went haywire on the charity deal. That boat they were supposed to load with supplies for Greece was knocked off by subs before it ever reached New York. We heard about it down on the docks. And then one day at the girl's house, the detective showed up with some news. Well, we solved that case for you, Miss Brand. He's dead. Who's dead? Miss Cabalus. He was a wrong guy, all right. Look at that record. Three years at San Quentin, two at Leavenworth, five at Sing Sing. But this picture... Yeah, what's the matter? This isn't... This... It's not Miss Cabalus? No. Oh, that's him, all right. Me and Sam checked her facts with the coroner's office. We also checked it with the captain of the gambling boat he was on. He was missing. Boat was missing, too. That we finally ran it down. Over at Pier 48, they're loading a ship called a Briny Marlin with medical supplies from your office. The what? What did you say the name of the ship was? The Briny Marlin. At least that's what they call it now. The Briny Marlin. The Briny Marlin. The boat was just pulling out when she got there. She came running down the dock, calling to him. Joe. He was standing at the rail, kind of smiling. Joe. Joe, take me with you. Please, darling. I love you. Please take me with you. You don't belong with a grifter like me. You just got some mud on your dress, that's all. Give it time. Let it dry. It'll brush off. Oh, no, Joe. Joe, I love you. Please take me with you, Joe. Please, Joe. Please. Goodbye, Barney Marlin. Well, that's it. She never saw him again. That's why she's standing down there now at the end of the dock. She comes here every night. Well, what happened to the Greek? We delivered the stuff. Then he joined the Merchant Marine, and coming back, the briny Marlow drew a dead heat with a German torpedo. Hmm. 
Funny a guy like him winding up that way, huh? You can't kill a fellow like Joe. That's him now. Hey, Joe. Hiya, Swede. Where you been? Waiting for you, that's all. Come on, Joe. The dinghy's at the end of the pier. Let's get back to ship. Change my mind. We're not going back to ship tonight. Oh, listen, Joe. Come on. It's our last night ashore. I got a cab waiting outside. We're going uptown. Okay, but you got to go down and tie up that dinghy anyway. Why should I? Because I'm telling you to. It's an order. Uh, okay. She's turning around. I think she sees him. Yeah. Oh, Joe. Hey. Oh, Joe, I've been waiting so long for you. It's okay. That's the real finish. We can go now. was the fabulous Cary Grant and the scintillating Lorraine Day in Mr. Lucky, courtesy of the Lux Radio Theater. Great stuff. Well, seeing as how it's been a while, I thought I'd kick this year off with a competition. Seeing as how Cary Grant is the star of today's show, I am giving away the Cary Grant Collection on DVD, a box set containing four of his films. Night and Day, Destination Tokyo, North by Northwest, and Arsenic and Old Lace. All you have to do to enter is to either click the link in the show notes, which will take you to the competition page, or go to www.attaboyclarence.com and click on the competition link on the sidebar. However you land there, once you arrive, you will find a blurry picture of a famous female co-star of Grant's. All you have to do is decide who that someone is, then submit your answer at the bottom of the page. I will pick a winner from the correct answers and announce who they are on the next episode. Easy. Well, that is it from me for this show. Thank you very much for joining me. I have to say, I love doing the secret history shows. They're an absolute labor of love. But it is really nice to actually sit down and watch some films again and come back here and tell you about them. I have missed this. Until episode 69 then, remember that Golden Age Entertainment is definitely the best way to remind yourselves that the world can be an excellent place, so take very good care of yourselves. See you soon, and bye for now. (laughs) 